control There's always more to tell Especially when the video sales are doing really well From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6 This is Sequel Cast And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end This is Sequel Cast And your hosts have asked that I inform you Hello and welcome to the sequel cast. The sequel cast is a show that talks about movies in a franchise one movie at a time. I'm your host, Matt. Uh, the theme song you heard was written and performed by Mark with the C. You can check out his music at markwithac.com. And you can visit us for the sequel cast over at sequelcast.com. You can look us up on iTunes or chat with us over at facebook.com slash sequelcast. Uh, you can also listen to us on Stitcher if you go to stitcher.com slash sequelcast and use that to uh, download the app. When you register, you automatically get Sequelcast added as a favorite show of yours, and it's a great way to listen to podcasts on the go streaming. And uh, if you sign up at stitcher.com slash sequelcast, you have a chance to win 100 American dollars. American dollars, you said? American dollars, yes, not uh, Tunisian. Not rubles, not pounds, not pesos, not Deutschmarks, not yen, not lex, not the giant stone coins of the Yap Islanders? No, not not uh, not zenny, not gold pieces, not not bronze, not um not Facebook coins. Not uh not Miss Piggy dollars, I don't know. Now that's uh that's the kind of money I could wrap my legs around. Not credits. Uh, okay, and what you just heard is Thrasher. <laughs> I'll let you say what you just heard. Yeah. And, and, and frankly, that <laughs> probably is a, a, a decent pronoun for me. Uh, so we're kicking off a new series of episodes looking at uh, the Muppet films. And you might be saying, well, what do you mean? You're going to do Muppet shows for the whole year? And the answer is no, we're just sticking to the theatrical ones. But even so, I, I believe this uh, series of uh, shows we're going to do in the Muppet movies is our biggest franchise, so to speak, that we've done. Uh, Planet of the Apes was six. Can you think of anything else we did that exceeded that? I uh, don't believe we did anything that exceeded Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes has been the most massive franchise as far as the number of films that we've done so far. All right, and you, if you want to check uh, some of those out, go to uh, sequelcast.com and all the shows you download on there, or look on iTunes, just search sequelcast. Um, so yeah, we're going to kick things off with uh, the Muppet movie directed by James Frawley. Produced by Jim Henson, written by Jack Burns and Jerry Joel, uh, featuring the the voice and puppetry talents of Jim Henson and Frank Oz, uh, Jerry Nelson, Richard Hunt, and Dave Goetz, Goels, I can't pronounce that. Good goals. Goals. Uh, music by Paul Williams and Kenny Asher. Um, you know, at the time, uh, uh, cinematography by Isidore Mankowski. Uh, this was released in 1979, so before either of us were born, I believe. Is that right? 
Indeed. Uh, I, I may have been a zygote at this time. You might have been uh, in, in a glimmer in your father's eye, as they say. No, that by that point, I think that glimmer had traveled down into his testicles and been blasted into my mother. I see. Uh, that's uh, it's nice to see you're um, uh, very subtle with your humor, Thrasher. Um, Classy. This Muppets are all about class. Right. So, uh, speaking of the Muppets, which of course is what we're talking about, I love this poster that's featured on Wikipedia, if you want to look around with us. Uh, it says, oh, right. more entertaining than humanly possible. It's a takeoff of Gone with the Wind at the top with Miss Piggy holding Kermit in her arms. And you get the Muppet game in the car in the Studebaker. It's it's a great old-timey movie poster. I mean, frankly, it's it's a kind of poster you we rarely see now. When it's done by Drew Struzan, who did such great uh, 80s movie posters as, like, The Goonies... Um, He's done so much. If if there's a movie poster that has a realistic-looking style that's a bit more detailed than Mad Magazine, but kind of that exact... And it almost looks photorealistic, the way he paints these things. But um, Well, that's something that's really missing from movie posters. Movie posters today, it seems to be all just sort of graphic design taken from production stills. Like, there's... Very rarely do we get to see a poster that's been painted that really has that human touch. Right. It's it's very much like Attack of the Floating Heads is what I call modern posters. And then you get photoshops of people's heads in various sizes, uh, usually dependent on what their salary is. Uh, but if you like old-fashioned movie posters, even though I'm not sure if these are painted, these might all be done on the computer. But uh, off, out of Austin, Texas, there's a thing called Mondo Posters. And they do um, custom posters and custom prints every time they do screening. At the Alamo, at the Alamo Draft House in Austin, Texas. Oh, yeah. Have you seen these? Uh, I have not seen them. Uh, but. I'll, I'll post a link on the Facebook page. But they're just really quite amazing. And whenever they do prints, uh, they're a bit expensive. These might be between fifty to a hundred bucks, sometimes even more. But they're just so detailed, and it's a real nice graphic design look. They almost look more like uh, book covers from the seventies uh, uh, or something. But we're, we're not talking about artwork exactly. We're talking about the Muppets. Before we get into the Muppet movie, why don't we talk about when is the first time, uh, Thrasher, you watched the Muppets in any form, not I, not this film necessarily. I frankly don't know when the first time I saw the, the Muppets was because, of course, I, mean, I was raised on Sesame Street, but I also yeah. remember watching the Muppet show when I was young. I also remember, I remember that Miss Piggy special with Jonathan Ritter that is just fucking brilliant. If you can track that down, I have no idea if it's available on DVD currently. Is that the one that's an exercise video, or is that just an album? Well, it's it's one of several things. It's like the the it's 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 both Miss Piggy hosting a sketch variety show, but it's also the behind the scenes drama of everyone trying to produce this sketch variety show with Miss Piggy. But Jonathan Ritter is supposed to be the guest star, and Miss Piggy is working under the delusion that what she's making is a pilot for a series, not a special. And so there's all these personality clashes, and then at the climax of the show. Uh, Jonathan Ritter uh, uh, is hired, or, or no, uh, Jonathan Ritter auditions to replace Miss Piggy, and he does this amazing Miss Piggy impersonation. Now that'd be something to see. John Ritter was uh, really funny, and yet he could do some good, uh, you know, kind of serious performances in things like Stephen King's It, or um, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I'm thinking of Sling Blade. He's the oh. gay guy in that with the messed up hair and stuff so but yeah and he's also in bride of chucky one of my favorites not a serious part as the cop in there but but it has puppets 
It does, and they're doing a, a Chucky Six, but this is not a sequel news show. Uh, this is a sequel cast about, you know, we're talking about Muppet stuff. For me, the first time I saw the Muppets, uh, you know, growing up, I lived overseas and stuff, and uh, but we still went to, you know, local video stores in the embassy or whatever my uh, family was working at, and... Uh, because I lived overseas, we did not get American television. So uh, my grandparents would uh, videotape Saturday morning cartoons and mail them to us to Argentina. So when we got these in the mail, they would. We'd be excited to see new commercials, my sister and I. We, oh my God, it's a new videotape with new commercials, and we'd watch these things over and over again. Uh, SLP, six hours to one videotape, really shitty quality, especially by today's standards. And from that, I learned the Muppets first through Muppet Babies, the cartoon. Um, oh, yeah. But I, I, I did not grow up watching any of the live-action Muppet shows, and I believe the first Muppet movie I might have seen was Muppet Takes Manhattan on a videotape we taped off HBO or something. Uh, so, but when was the first time you saw the Muppet movie? The very first live-action Muppet movie, which is what we're talking about today. The very first time I'm consciously aware of seeing it, uh, I was, I think, six years old mm. it was at um i've mentioned this before that my family meets once a year in the outer banks this was at one of those trips and it had been rented from a local video store that's that's the first time i specifically remember seeing this film from beginning to end i may have seen it before then and just did not remembered it and i certainly have seen it since then but that's the first time i believe i've seen the whole thing uh, the first time I saw this all the way through, I, I believe I was in high school. It was fairly late, and I, I just happened to be working at a blockbuster video for several years, and I got to rent a lot of movies for free. It's a, I, I'd say it's a fun job if you like movies, but there's not many video rental stores anymore. Uh, that's a that's a whole other issue. So, uh, you know, it was until I was older, but then um, in, in Portland, Oregon, once a month, I believe it's usually the first weekend of the month or something like that, uh, a local, um, they used to do a radio show, now they do a podcast, Court and Fatboy do midnight movies mm-hmm. of older stuff, and they did the Muppet movie as a midnight movie about a year ago. So I got to see it on the big screen, and uh, and that was a real treat. Now, nice. keep in mind, the film print was really old, the picture had a lot of scratches. Uh, the sound was in surprisingly good condition, but the, the picture had all sorts of pops and scratches in it. Um, but but still, uh, yeah, and, and, and older watching The Muppets, it sort of hits me on an emotional level that it never did as a kid, and maybe it reminds me as a kid all the time I spent watching Muppet Babies and, and all that sort of stuff. And I do remember as a kid, before seeing The Muppet Movies, I would watch stuff. Uh, there was, I, I don't know if this was an episode of a show or something, but it was like a Muppet take on, uh, gee, Frog Prince, I'm thinking, with Robin and Kermit and Snookums. Yes, uh, Sweetums. They uh, did. Sweetums, they did. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Jim Henson did three. Uh, the series. It was meant to be bigger than it uh, inevitably was, but it was Tales from Muppet Land. The first one was uh, Hey Cinderella, and then the second was uh, The Frog Prince, and the third was The Muppet Musicians of Brennan. Oh, that's an obscure one. Jeez. Oh, that one. That one is nightmare fuel. <laughs> All right, well, we'll get into that with the several episodes down the line. We're going to do a, a sequel cast show fo- featuring about the Muppets TV shows and all those things. Should be a lot of fun. Back with this Muppet movie, uh, when I watched it again to prepare for this episode of the sequel cast, it really struck me. A lot of the the Muppets are, are kind of like early episodes of The Simpsons in that you play to kids and adults. In a way, a lot more of the jokes are aimed at adults. 
You have a joke about cunnilingus within the first five minutes from Dom DeLuise. <laughs> or it could be read well, as that Well, that's Dom way. DeLuise. Dom DeLuise. D-O-M. Um, you, you, you can't keep the man from going to sex. But before that, we might as well start with, uh, before we talk about the movie, can we say what our favorite song from the movie is? I mean, one thing about almost all these Muppet movies is, in a sense, they're musicals, or they have a lot of musical sequences yeah, at certain points, if not throughout the whole thing. Would you call them musicals? I don't know. They're they're comedy variety movies, is what they were. They're they're like the they're like those old ensemble movies in Hollywood where it would just be a huge cast and everybody would do their bit and there'd be kind of a pretense of a plot to justify all these people being together. But it, but you know it, it's a gag delivery system and it works beautifully. And um, so along that line, is there a song that really sticks out as your favorite from the Muppet movie? Well, I. I, I got to start with Rainbow Connection because sure. I still get a little teary-eyed when I see that song. It is oh, just a too. truly beautiful song, a beautiful performance, especially when combined with that that visual of the Everglades. Um, but when it, for just pure entertainment value, my favorite song's got to be Can You Picture That? Mm. Okay, by Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem. Yeah, just, just a perfect psychedelic uh, rock song. We should mention one of the uh, the writers of most of the songs in this film, Paul Williams, is also an actor, and he's been on stuff we've talked about in the sequel cast before. Not only did he play Virgil in Battle of the Planet of the Apes, but he was Little Enos in the Smokey and the Bandit trilogy. You can check those out uh, either on iTunes, look up sequel cast, or go to sequelcast.com. But uh, Paul Williams also did uh, you know music and lyrics for Phantom of the Paradise, a, uh, a film I've never seen, but I've heard it's tremendous. It's it is tremendous. No, it, it isn't in a bad way. You had a strange tone to your it's, voice. It's it's tremendously it, like if if you like campy old fashioned horror movies from the seventies, yeah. it is your kind of movie. So a lot of fun costumes. I take it. I mean, it, it's the it's it's a it's the Phantom of the Opera, but sort of transposed over a roller disco. Right. Is that Brian De Palma? I believe As so. The director. Yeah. Okay. Uh, for me. Yeah, I don't know. Rainbow Connection uh, always makes me cry. I don't know. It's just something, the very simple nature of the orchestration of the of the guitar and uh, John Henson, Jim, I'm sorry, Jim Henson, of course, doing the voice of uh, Kermit the Frog and just what the lyrics are saying, I think, can relate to a lot of different people for a lot of different reasons. It can be about uh, coming out and admitting you're gay or something. It can be about finding the right job, uh, finding the right romantic partner, finding whatever. Whatever your rainbow connection is, you can apply it to the song. Uh, do you think that's the case? You know, it is It, it is a song that, that you can you can sort of make it mean whatever you want it to mean, but in, in my mind, it's it's, it's it's those wonderful, fantastical things in our head that keep us moving forward. It's it's about it's about the generative power of nonsense, and I love I truly love that. I mean, what's so amazing that keeps us stargazing, and what do they think we might see? I, I just don't know. Um, I really enjoy the song as well, other than Rainbow Connection, uh, "Moving Right Along," uh, performed mm. by Kermit and Fozzie in the car. It, it's not a big number. It's uh, has a lot of real corny jokes, but it does a great job of capturing the essence of Fozzie the Bear. Well, we know what that is, though, because that harkens back to the uh, Bob Hope, Bing Crosby road movies. Mm. You know, where they would, where they would, about a third of the way into the movie, would start singing a song about going from point A to point B. 
and telling a lot of corny jokes in the song. And Seth MacFarlane uh, continues that tradition in several episodes of Family Guy. Um, they have Stewie uh, the baby and Brian the dog, you know, go to France or Middle East or whatever. And they do that exact same kind of thing uh, as an homage to those Bob Hope uh, pictures. So, would you say those count as sequels? No. Okay. I think we get a total of like six listeners if we did. Uh, what if we did the if we did Family Guy movie? No, if we did Bob Hope. Oh no! Actually, I'd love to do that. I love yeah. those movies. Hmm. I actually recently uh, rewatched the uh, Road to Hong Kong. It's oh God, it's hilarious. They did a bunch of those. I know that much. I've never seen one myself. But uh, oh, they cranked them out. So I mean, yeah, like you said earlier, Thrasher. It, it's really God. I don't want to say a sketch comedy movie. Like you said, it's vaudeville. It's sort of a combination of a bunch of things. Plot is not paramount. Uh, at least in these earlier Muppet movies. It becomes a bigger deal later on with Christmas, uh, Carol, and Treasure Island, and that sort of thing. But with Muppet movie, although the bigger picture is Kermit gets an offer to uh, to go to Hollywood, and he makes all these friends, and they go to a Hollywood studio, and all these things. Uh, and he's being chased by uh, Doc Hopper, who wants Kermit to sponsor a chain of KFC style fried frog legs fast food restaurants. Well not not sponsor, but be but be the spokesperson. Be the spokesperson. Be the Colonel Sanders, if you will. Except that Doc Hopper is the Colonel Sanders character. Yes, yeah, certainly in the way he looks and, and talks and all these things. Doc Hopper. And although that's that- the main plot, you do go from scene to scene and things don't it's I, the pacing of it's a real shaggy dog kind of thing, and I sort of maybe because it was the first Muppet movie, the first time. Although the Muppets had been on TV for how long before this? Uh, I believe they've been making appearances since the since the like late sixties. I think that one of the things they might have started with was doing corporate videos and commercials and things. I mean, uh, well, 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 Jim Henson had produced uh, had produced uh, lots of commercials and promotional videos. Before he, uh, before he, before he started appearing like on television variety shows with the Muppets, but, but he, I mean he'd been he'd been doing the stuff since he was uh, since he created the show Sam and Friends for a local uh, station. And I recall um, one time TV Land had an old TV show uh, doing repeats of an old TV show, the Flip Wilson Show, which is a variety oh, yeah. one of the earlier variety shows hosted by an African American actor, uh, a comedian, uh, fantastically talented. And uh, they had the Muppets on there, but it might have been like Sam and Friends because they looked like, you know, normal sort of early versions of Bert and Ernie. And they saying, consider yourself from uh, Oliver. Consider yourself at home. Consider yourself one of the family. Was that the one where it's where Flip Wilson is explaining how you can give puppets facial expressions and he's like Velcroing on different facial appliances to the puppets? I, I believe so, yeah. God, that's a great it's routine. And if we put the eyebrows here, they look kind of hostile. Hostile? What do you mean hostile? Who are you calling hostile? <laughs> oh, that, that's a classic routine. Pretty good stuff. Uh, yeah, looking up The Muppet Show, uh, which is a precursor to The Muppet Movies, it went on for five seasons from 1976 to 1981. Uh, in a very weird turn of events, I guess, because of ownership rights or whatever, only three of those five seasons has been released in the U.S. on DVD as of this time. Um, and now that, you know, Disney outright owns the Muppets again, are they going to re-release all these sets so it's on DVD and Blu-ray or, or what have you? I don't know. And it'll be interesting to see. We can talk about that more on the Muppet spinoff episode. 
But, um, you know, with the Muppet movie, so the Muppet show was still in full swing at the time. And um, you're, this is also chock full of guest stars. Uh, this first Muppet movie, it, the guest stars, I think it's uh, consciously trying to make a statement in that we have people all the way from Edgar Bergen with uh, ventriloquism all the way to modern comics that were popular at the time, like Richard Pryor or Steve Martin. And it's sort of saying to, to all these different things, like, hey, we have old school comedy, we have no new school comedy, we have a respect for all different sort of comedians cameoing in this movie. And uh, I, I can see a younger person watching this Muppet movie and not recognizing who um, these, act, these cameos are. But for, for my money, pound per pound, this is one of the more high-profile series of nonstop cameos in this first Muppet movie, and I don't think they ever quite lived up to that in the later ones. Well, you know, your kids got to learn about Orson Welles sometime. Yes, and Rosebud. Rosebud frozen peas. Full of country goodness and green penis. <laughs> oh, my goodness, that's terrible. Well, what the hell, I'll take a few more for the road. Oh, what luck, there's a French fry caught in my beard. <laughs> the Critic! Yes, uh, if you like that joke, check out the John Lovitz uh, voiced cartoon, <laughs> The Critic, uh, which we make a reference to, I think, once every five or so episodes. It's it's one of those things, the more we like a movie, the harder it seems to be. The more we like a movie, the more we hate a movie, the more difficult it seems to be for us to stay on topic. We, 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 we need to hit the middle, Matt. I think when we hate a movie, we can stay on topic pretty well. It's just when it's like, oh yeah, I liked it, I love this scene, I love this scene, I think it's pretty boring to listen to. I don't know, but we should still try and uh, steer, we should stay on target and uh, focus. On I would say, I was always movie. really disturbed by, by Doc Hopper. Yeah. Uh, okay. If, if only because you know he's selling French fr- French fried frog legs, he's selling body parts from other frogs, and and Kermit. But I do kind of respect Kermit for just you know like saying no, not for. Uh, I, I don't know. Like I guess I guess he's not taking the legs from anthropomorphic uh, puppet frogs. No. So I guess that's okay, but I don't know. And I do have a few questions regarding Doc Hopper. That's a good uh, point to go on, Thrasher. One, have you ever eaten frog legs in real life? Yes, yes, I have. Me too. I uh, find the meats very tender and juicy, but not much meat to the leg. Well, no. <laughs> which, which is kind of upsetting, because you're eating, like, what, 15% of the frog's body mass? I feel like it's kind of a waste. You know, I think a lot of a frog would be bile, and aren't frogs uh, kind of going extinct in a way, or they're getting they're less common than they used to be? You don't see them around as much anymore. Uh, I don't think their numbers are well. That's just because you live in an urban environment. Yes, uh, I I don't think their numbers are dropping, but a lot of them are picking up uh, picking up chemical cont- contaminants that have mm. made it into the water supply. And that's how it become they become the uh, boss characters in video games like Blaster Master. You fight a giant <laughs> frog. Uh, but that's also where we got the Battletoads. Yes, of course. Who can never forget the Battletoads? This is not about video games. This is about the Muppets. Uh, so with this... Uh, oh, the other point I was going to make with Doc Hopper. What are you drinking, Thrasher? I'm drinking Tang. I'm drinking a uh, mixture of seltzer water and 100 proof Southern Comfort. Oh my. Soco, as they say. I don't, maybe, does anyone call it that? Maybe it's just me. I don't know. 
Uh, okay, so there's the plot that's set up at the beginning, and it has a bit more of a payoff at the end with Doc Hopper trying to get Kermit the Frog to join him. He's clearly a bad guy, but he's not, in, he knows, he's not a huge presence throughout the film. Do you think he takes away from the, the loose, uh, episodic structure of the movie, or do you think he's a good character to have in the film? Well, he, he's, a, he's a decent antagonist that doesn't hog screen time. He's on screen just enough to get the job done. Because, frankly, we're not here to watch the Muppets be chased by some lunatic. We're here to watch the Muppets. And that's a real thing about all these Muppet films, is that balance is how much the story focuses on the Muppets and how many focuses on the humans. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a really interesting balancing act. I really love, uh, when I saw this in the theater, people cheered at the extended cameo of Mel Brooks. As, oh, yeah. as the evil Professor Max Cr- Max Crassman, he does the most overdone German accent possible. Oh, that's and, uh, great. Mel Brooks knows how to do. You know, he'll take a shtick and he'll keep on running it into the ground over and over again, smiling as he does so. And it, I mean, that character, Professor Max Crassman, could have been out of a Mel Brooks film himself, and it wouldn't have felt out of place. It, it's a fucking amazing cameo. <laughs> and actually, if I can tell tell a story, cause, yeah, because. You know, he's, they, Doc Hopper has hired this insane German or possibly Austrian scientist to, for all intents and purposes, lobotomize slash brainwash Kermit the Frog. And they've got him like hooked up to this elaborate machine with a bowl on his head. And Mel Brooks is hamming it up, explaining, you know, explaining how the machine works. Um, now, mind you, when I saw this for the first time when I was five, I had a very limited vocabulary. So the line is, it turns the brain into guacamole. <laughs> I I didn't know what guacamole was when I was a kid. Right. I misheard it. I didn't realize it was guacamole until like I saw it again when I was eight. I thought he said locomotive, and <laughs> it put this idea in my head that one of the most terrible things that could ha- that could happen to your brain was for it to be turned into a locomotive. <laughs> I actually had a nightmare where my brain turned in into an old iron uh, train. Like the kind you'd have in the Old West. <laughs> that just gives and, me an image of a standard toy locomotive, but uh, piloting the thing is a tiny brain with a conductor's cap in the driver's seat. <laughs> but I th- I'm thinking you're thinking of what a train made out of a train made out of brain matter. No, no, it was, it was oh. a, it's a, it's, it completely turns it in my in my mind. Yes. it completely turned your brain into a locomotive, so it was made out of metal and and had burning coal in it and a smokestack. Hmm. And, that, and that's very bad, because I guess it means evil Austrians can control you if you have a locomotive brain. Yeah, I mean, it's... The, the other thing interesting watching the Muppet movie is how uh, the designs of the Muppets have changed in subtle ways over the years. I mean, the way they look in this Muppet movie is different than how they looked in the first season of the Muppet show. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and all these things. And But even if you look at the more recent Muppet movies, they look more cute and more... They look more rough around the edges, and and it's not like the Muppets are going around saying "fuck you" and stuff in this movie. But no, you're thinking of the Muppets. I'm thinking of the Muppets from the uh, 2011 Muppets movie we'll be covering in uh, August or so. Uh, but in this one, the Muppets—I don't know—especially Miss Piggy, I think, looks quite different. Kermit has looked pretty much the same over the years. What do you think of like the look of the characters and how they look different in these older incarnations? Well, th- th- when this movie was made, the Muppets were just about at that archetypal f- 
sort of perfect form. Mm. Uh, but I mean, the, the the Muppets have all have been continually evolving since they were created. Just that, that Kermit arrived at that sort of archetypal form uh, sooner than the other ones. Miss Piggy went uh, a heck of a lot of revisions since yeah. uh, her debut in the Muppet Show, where she was just sort of a background character. She got lots more personalities that went on. Gonzo, uh, who's, who's actually been around longer than Miss Piggy, he's probably had the most significant evolution. Because he was originally he was originally a uh, a, a bird sidekick in the uh, Jim Henson uh, Christmas special, The Great Santa Claus Switch, where he was just kind of a, a sidekick to to the evil wizard who tried to kidnap Santa Claus, and he was just a head. I don't think he had a body then. And huh. since then, like you know, so by the time he shows up on the Muppet Show, he's got a body, but he's still this runty, weird thing with a very high pitched voice. <laughs> you know, it's not till and not till I think the second season of the Muppet Show that he got the voice that we're familiar with, and even then his look kept changing. And even all the way up to Muppets from Space, there's constant subtle changes being ma- made to the to Gonzo. Uh, when we get to Muppets in Space, uh, God, I have huge problems with that film, but that's not going to be for several weeks. Um, oh yeah. Regardless. Um, you know, I've been watching some of these older Muppet movies with my wife, uh, Ivana. She normally does Ivana doesn't like to watch movies I'm watching for the sequel cast because, oh, they're too cheesy, they're too gory, it's just not her kind of thing, which I'm fine with that. But the Muppets, she loves. She grew up watch, even though she's a, a few years younger than I am, she grew up watching the live-action Muppet show with her family and all these things. So she has a closer connection to the characters than I do, but she hasn't seen the older movies. And she... Really? Uh... She had seen the original Muppet movie, but I was watching, you know, Great Muppet Caper, Muppet Takes Manhattan, stuff we're going to cover in the next few weeks. And she had never seen those before, and that kind of surprised me. Um, and anyway, she says in every Muppet movie... Uh, yeah, what was that? Well, there was just the ice uh, okay. in my glass of Tang as I was taking a deep, a deep quaff. Excellent. Um, you should mix some booze with that. I don't know. Maybe booze with Tang is a terrible idea. Well- Maybe next episode. Next we'll, episode, we'll sure, we'll see. Vodka uh, goes with anything. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more, say no more. Uh, that sounded a little more like a shitty Australian accent than British. Eric Idle, I apologize. Oh, no, I'll, I'll do it as Murray from Flight of the Concords. Uh, uh, wink, wink, uh, nudge, nudge, say no more. Brett? <laughs> say no more. Uh, All right, so what yes. were you saying about the movies? <laughs> Uh, right. My, my wife, Ivana, had a theory that in every movie, Kermit the Frog has his asshole moment where he has a breakdown and says, I'm sick of being the leader. I can't do this. Blah, blah, blah. And then the Muppets have to split up for some contrived reason. And uh, no, I, th- I think that's kind of accurate. Uh, Kermit does have, he does have his breakdown every film. And but and, or something akin to it. And the thing, like, it got me really offended because I don't think Kermit the Frog is an asshole. To me, the thing that emotionally, I'm getting teary-eyed talking about this now, sadly. But mm-hmm. the thing about Kermit that really gets to me is he, uh, sort of like Mickey Mouse or something. He represents something that is innocent and pure and naive. That is a viewpoint as an adult is a very very difficult to have. And that Kermit is able to break things down and. Like, I don't know. There's something very, uh, uh, to me, moving about the childlike simplicity of Kermit's view in the world. And then, like, hey, ho, gang, we're going to go together and, uh, and uh, make a movie. We're going to do a Broadway show. Yay! That's not a great Kermit impression, but... <laughs> Come on, gang, let's put on a Broadway show. Yay! There you go. You can do the higher pitch than me. But, uh, right. 
But you see what I'm trying to say? Like, I don't know. There's just something about that character. As uh, I wipe these tearlets from the corners of my eyes. Now, I don't know. That just really hits me. And it's Kermit specifically. It's not the other characters. Well, I think think the thing... That Kermit really functions as a creative focal point, and, and as a person who has had to function as a creative focal point, that is a tremendous amount of pressure. And I've had those breakdowns <laughs> when, when, you know, people have talked to Jason and BJ. They have seen me at my second to worst. Second to worst? Hmm. Oh, yeah. No, no, my, my worst moments are strictly in private, but... It, it takes a tremendous amount of energy and puts you under a tremendous amount of pressure. And to keep that pressure from turning you toxic, you sometimes have to have these little breakdown moments where it all gets released. Have you ever seen me get really pissy and s- kick and scream? and s- Not kick, just like scream and stuff? Um, w- once, but you may, you may have been joking, but joking too convincingly. Right. Um... I don't think you saw me do that at my wedding. That was really before my wedding. Or for, no, uh, no, I didn't see that at the wedding. Okay. But anyway, what I'm... You were pretty collected at the wedding. You know, it just was such a busy, exhausting day. It felt like a... Anyway, I'm not going to get into that. What I am uh, trying to say is... I know what you mean, Thrasher. Everyone has a moment where... Uh, it reminds me of in uh, high school, I did a bunch of drama club theater stuff. We'll get back to the Muppet movie, folks, I promise. Uh... <laughs> You know, I was an assistant student director at my high school production of Alice in Wonderland and helped on the script and did all these things. Although, as one friend put it, I was a lackey to a lackey to a lackey, which is fair enough, because even the, the all these shows were directed by the head drama teacher at the school. They weren't directed by the students. Um, anyway, I, I, I would, I, I think I worked part-time. I went to school and I was, you know, went to every single night of the the play, uh, preparing for it so I was doing extremely long hours and I had a girlfriend at the time and my girlfriend's parents said oh my god I feel so sad for Matt he thinks this play is real and I mean that wasn't the case I'm not stupid I I know Alice in Wonderland isn't real but to do your best when you're working on some uh, long form artistic thing whether it be a school play or whatever you have to believe it's real you have to invest that much of yourself into it and uh, doing that after a full day of school and half a day of work or whatever is just can be physically exhausting. Oh, I've got to say there are few sensations better than that that sweet oblivion that comes and you completely lose yourself in a work. Right. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if I'm writing and I really want to get in the mood to do a lot of writing... I will pick a piece of music. Lately, it's been the opening credit theme to Lady Hawk. Something like obnoxious and instrumental. And I'll have it on loop. And for some reason, having one piece of instrumental music on loop that I kind of enjoy anyway can just put me more in that artistic zone to work on things. Hmm. It'd be really cool. It'd be really obnoxious to other people, I think. But <laughs> Well, they're not writing. <laughs> no, but uh, we're supposed to be talking about The Muppet Show here on the sequel cast. We've talked about a few of the characters, we've talked about a few of the songs, we've talked a little bit about the overarching plot of the film. Uh, Looking back on the Muppet movie, is there some scenes that jump out as some of your favorites? Uh, One of my favorites, just because of the sheer level of... 
level of everything in it is when Kermit's at the bar and meets Rolf the dog, and Rolf <laughs> the dog is the piano player at the bar, and it's just like this perfect. It's like this perfect two guys with trouble with you know trouble in their lives bonding over a mm. bar. The the breezy kind of jazzy music that he's improvising on the that Rolf is improvising on the piano. And and just and all the all the the dog puns that Rolf is doing. <laughs> there's so many things I love in that scene. They're just going on all at once. I love it. Yeah, and while uh, Rolf the dog, you know, also voiced by Jim Henson, isn't the deepest character. They never give him that much to do in these movies or in the show. He, uh, like a real dog, I suppose, is very dependable. Like he delivers corny jokes. He's like Statler and Waldorf in that respect. And the song he has with Kermit, I hope that something better comes along in The Muppet Show, I think is something that can only really appeal to adults. That song is heartbreaking if you look at it from a certain point of view. Mm. If you've ever, you know, dated a series of women or men or, or, or what, hamsters, what have you. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah, or, or, or Muppets, whatever, whatever it is. And, like, I don't know, just the, the sense, of the lyrics by um, Paul Williams and... The music by Paul Williams and Kenny Asher in this film really get at something deeper that I don't think any of the Muppet movies ever quite match. And I don't know whether it's because this was still made in the 70s or it was before the Muppets got more like uh, kid stuff. I mean, when the Muppets were in early, uh, the thing the Muppets were on were in like that first season of Saturday Night Live with Bill Murray and Chevy Chase, the Muppets would be on there doing jokes about smoking oh, yeah. pot and stuff and uh, or whatever, right? I mean, it was... Oh, yeah. Well, well the, thing, the thing is, the, the Muppets were never for kids. They were for people. They always worked in a variety of levels. They always had stuff for kids, stuff for adults, and stuff for everything in between. But there's this, that same, that same part that it's that same cultural thing that makes people assume that all cartoons are for kids makes people assume that all puppets are for kids no matter how artful or deep or outright adult they are and they certainly started i don't know if i want to say dumbing things down but as these movies go on and as we'll talk about them in the coming weeks in the sequel cast uh, the movies become more kitty oriented to an extent i think that's unmistakable but this first muppet movie uh, it's not a rated x film like i was trying to say earlier but you have a, a a lot of adult jokes, and even the cameos are stuff that adults, even at the time in 1979, would have recognized more than the kids, I think. You, you didn't have a Justin Bieber of the day pop on screen. You know, a Donnie no, Osmond well, or whatever. Well, well, the thing is, everybody who has a cameo in this movie is brilliant. Uh, Edgar Bergen, Milton Berle, Bob Hope. is. Oh, is my God, movie. yes. Like, right. That is... You know, Carol Kane, it is a myth. Uh, a myth. Yes, <laughs> I said a myth. You know, it's it's just, it is just hilarious. And like these, all the people who make cameos are, 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 are geniuses. Right. You talk about the Mel Or great entertainers. We talked about Mel Brooks earlier. And, you know, there's this on the Rainbow Connection. This film kind of has the Mel Brooks connection. Not only is Mel Brooks in it as Professor Max Crossman. But you have Madeline Kahn, who was in Blazing Saddles and other Mel Brooks films. In this one, she is El Slezo Patron, and she's very, very funny. And you also have oh. Cloris Leachman, who is in some Mel Brooks uh, films as well. Uh, in the very end, is a small part as the secretary to the Hollywood executive, played by or Orson Welles. And the part with Steve Martin and the wine and Miss Piggy and Kermit 
It's uh, there's something about that early Steve Martin that reminds me of a young Charles Grodin, where oh. they seem constantly annoyed, at, or they're playing characters that are constantly sort of pissed off at their lot in life. Well, that, that's well, that was kind of you know that that was kind of part of Steve Martin's early act was that right. he was playing a performer. He was playing Steve Steve Martin the comedian was playing Steve Martin the character mm. who was a performer who thought he was the greatest performer in the world, but who was always on the verge of, of breaking down. But like yet in his later stuff, even though he's he's um, and he collects art. I don't know. I forget if he paints or not. But he's he's written novels. He's done a lot of real. High-minded oh, yeah. themes, but as far as films, he's done a lot of family films and whatever. They pay him money, more, you know, more power to him. No, well, I'll tell you what, I don't he, think he's he done. Likes to, he likes to eat, yes. and he likes money for art. I think you're absolutely right, Thrasher. But I mean, I'm thinking like I don't think it's been since Bowfinger, since Steve Martin has done something that had a bit of a wit to it. I haven't. I've heard Shop Girl is rather good. I have not seen that film or read the book uh, that he wrote, but. Do you see that one? No? Uh, regrettably, I have not. Okay. But, I mean, yeah, I, there's, there's so many interesting cameos and, and things in this film. It, it's hard to talk about because all of it is so delightful. Well, this, there's nothing in this film that isn't delightful. I The only thing that bothers me in the film, I kind of touched on this before, is uh, the Doc Hopper plot... It's good in the beginning. There's not enough momentum. And the whole scene at the end is kind of like a Wild West show-off and an animal gets blown up to huge proportions. That's interesting from a technical perspective, but... Well, it's a terrifying scene if you're a kid. Yeah, no, I imagine it would be. I mean, animal... You think of a joke in... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, animal in this film is... Or in any of these films, or even the TV show, is weird. I mean, he's like a toddler on steroids. Yeah, or a dog, or a really hyper dog or something. Well, you know, he is, he's an id. He is just an id. Right. But, like, in this film, you know, it begins like it's a movie about Muppets going to a movie of themselves, and he chases a, a naked streaker through the theater. And they redo <laughs> that joke in Muppets Take Manhattan, it's a woman with all her clothes running through the theater. Um, and I think that kind of well, says it all. running through a college graduation. The college, right, exactly. Uh, um, right, a community college graduation. But yeah, I, I don't think that stuff with Doc Hopper works so well. They set it up, and then they don't pay it off until it's too late, so by the time Doc Hopper comes into play, you're like, who is this character? I don't really remember. I do like you get a scene, they're on the road, and they meet up with Big Bird. And oh, yeah. Isn't that sort of a, a meta call-out to follow that bird, or is that several years later no, no, that one came follow out? follow that. Follow That Bird didn't happen until many years later. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was around the same time. But Sesame Street no, no, was out in... Bird was... Sesame Street was out by 79, wasn't it? Oh, no. Sesame Street had been around. Okay. It was, it was yeah. well known. Uh, but but no, but Follow That Bird, I don't think, was until 86 or 87. Hmm. Okay. But it's, but, it's just, but it's just one of those things. You know, you might as, if you're going to have cameos of famous people, you might as well have cameos of famous puppets. Exactly. Uh, cross-pollination. Synergy, all that stuff. Uh, it's worth mentioning the director of this film, James Frawley, uh, was not from, didn't work on the Muppet Show, didn't have a Muppet background. He was an outside director. He was a television director that directed, among other things, a lot of the Columbo uh, direct-to-TV movies of the week and stuff. And since then, he's still alive, has a very successful career directing 
television and from shows such as Smallville to, um, let me see, from like Smallville, Judging Amy, Ghost Whisperer. He did the TV movie The Three Stooges that was a biopic um, produced by Mel Gibson that I heard was actually pretty good. It has the actor from The Wire as Curly. Omar? I'm sorry, not The Wire. Um, the FX show about the cops. Okay, he was Thane and Fantastic Four. God damn it. <laughs> the Commish. Yes, the Commish. As Curly. Um, <laughs> and then some of the family of the Living Three Stooges got very upset with that film because it depicted them as less than harmonious, which I think in most cases... Well, they were. Well, you're right, exactly. That's the thing. Rose-tinted glasses and all that jazz. Uh, back to the Muppet movie, which is what we're talking about, believe it or not. We're kind of staying on target, not really. I don't know. <laughs> Stay on target. Stay on target. <laughs> well, actually, would this be a good time to introduce our new feature? Yes. Um, so, uh, you know, behind the scenes of the sequel cast, sometimes Thrasher and I talk outside of the sequel cast. It's a shock, I know. We've been friends we for... We yell sometimes, we, too. Yes, we yell passionately. We've been friends for, I think, almost a decade now, which is... Yeah. Um, that's crazy, isn't it? I, I, I like it. It's, it's divine madness. I didn't say I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, right. but you thought it. <laughs> I'm in your mind. I'm, a li- I'm, I'm like the thing in Star Trek 2. It's a little worm that goes in your ear and uh, makes you wiggle around like Chekhov. <laughs> okay. Uh, Matt can't do accents. No, this is a segment called Sequel Cast Theater in which we uh, take a scene from the film and I perform it doing all the parts and Thrasher performs it doing all the parts. <laughs> and uh, the, you, the listener, on uh, our Facebook page, facebook.com slash sequel cast, get to decide which is better. Now maybe we'll get no comments from this. I don't know. <laughs> this is the pilot for this segment. What are you laughing about, Thrasher? No, I just, I, I just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just trying to say you can vote them both equally terrible. <laughs> I think it's probably true. So this is the, <laughs> this is the pilot for sequel cast theater. If uh, you think this is a good idea or not, please, we'll post about it on uh, Facebook. <laughs> I might even make this segment something on YouTube and throw it up on there. I think that could be very helpful, perhaps. Okay, so I'm going to start. The scene that I, uh, we're gonna, I'm going to be reenacting first as myself, doing all the parts. At the end of the film, Kermit the Frog, all the Muppets go to Hollywood. Talk to Hollywood fancy schmancy producer Lou Lord, played by Orson Welles. And they want to uh, audition to have a big movie part. The whole quest of the film. This is their final objective. One of the final scenes of the film. So, I'll start. Is that too much explanation? I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think they so, did it. So, we'll start. Sequel cast theater. This is Matt's take. Um, Mr. Lord, forgive the interruption, but I'm here to audition. Yes, yes. We've come over 2,000 miles and... Um, oh, oh, boy. Kermy, we're all here with you. Um, please, sir, my name is Kermit the Frog, and we've read your ad, and, well, we've come to be rich and famous. Miss Tracy, prepare the standard rich and famous contract for Kermit the Frog and company. Okay, <laughs> that's my take on the scene. Now, this is Thrasher's take on sequel cast theater. Uh, all, right. all right, let me get into character. Imagine imagine a big Hollywood producer's office. Um, Mr. Lord, forgive the interruption, but I'm here to audition. Yes, yes! We've come over 2,000 miles and... Oh, oh boy. Kermit? 
We're all with you. Um, please, sir, my name is Kermit the Frog, and we've read your ad, and, well, we, we've come to be rich and famous. Miss Tracy, prepare the standard rich and famous contract for Kermit the Frog and Company. So who was better, Matt or Thrasher? Hint and smat. Uh, post it on uh, Facebook.com slash SequelCast. You were about to say fuck Thrasher, weren't you? I wasn't going to say fuck Thrasher, but I've been drinking a bit, so maybe I was. Okay, so before we round up our discussion of uh, the Muppet movie, which I think we've done a middling job of talking about. Uh, yes? Oh, very good, Miss Piggy. Uh, what is, what's your big takeaway from the film? Rewatching it for the sequel cast. I I still love it, and I love the right. the what the Muppets have always been about about breaking the fourth wall, and I love that they continue that with this movie. I love that characters in the movie have access to the script of the movie that they're in, and actually use that to get information or to be in the right place at the right time. How'd you find us? We read the script. You know, it's it, I ah oh, I love. I love metaphysical, you know, bending, reality-bending comedy like that, and few people do it better than the Muppets. It was so far ahead of its time, although you had some of that in Mel Brooks' uh, Blazing Saddles comes to mind, where they, you know, break the fourth wall and all these things near the end of the film. Uh, right, I mean, this first Muppet movie, um, gee, I don't know if I want to say this, is, ar is arguably one of the better Muppet movies made. And I think part of it is the variety of cameos as far as what audience they're trying to appeal to. In addition, I, I don't know, that even coming out of the gate that it could be this strong of a movie is kind of shocking. A big part of that has to go to the music done by Paul Williams and Kenny Asher. The songs are memorable. It's kind of like a pop song where it gets stuck in your head, but the lyrics actually mean something, unlike a pop song. So, uh, the Muppet movie... Um, Really high, really high marks for me. We're going to rate these all at the end a few weeks from now. But yeah, I was really shocked at how well it held up. And specifically when I saw this in a theater instead of at home, I thought the pacing didn't bother me as much. I don't know why that is. But I think when, you, when you're at home sitting on watching a movie, you might be half paying attention. You might be on, if you're like me, you might be on Twitter the whole time trying to think of unfunny jokes to post for people to reply to. Or you might be uh, playing a Game Boy, playing a Nintendo 3DS, <laughs> Vita. You watch movies terribly. I do. It's difficult to sit and focus on a movie for an hour and a half in your own house when you have so many other distractions, whether it's a puppy that wants you to play fetch, or uh, cooking dinner, or... Let the puppy play fetch with the Game Boy, so it won't, neither one will distract you. Exactly. Yeah, that's uh, excellent advice. Okay. So, we're going to play our second segment in the sequel cast, Pitch a Sequel, in which you pretend no sequels were made after this first Muppet movie, and we pitch our concept for a sequel, pretending none of the other ones except for this first one existed. I'll begin. I, I think after this one, you know, it's, this one is sort of an origin story, if you will, of the Muppets. I think the way you do a sequel would be about... The, the end of the Muppet show. It would be a, in the style of the 90s TV series VH1 Behind the Music about how the Muppet show... It would be a mockumentary about how the Muppet show crashed and burned. Why did the Muppets all leave each other? Why did the TV show fail? Why did it get canceled? 
it would have you a lot. You may be describing a sequel that was actually made. Really? Give it time. Okay. You'll see. Fair enough. But that's what my pitch on it would be. It would be very meta, more taking a documentary structure, but having the Muppets you know, address the camera as if they're real um, characters with these problems about how the Muppet Show got canceled and all these things, I think would be perhaps a bit too clever for its own good and would alienate a lot of the children audience. But that's my pitch for a, a, a pitch a sequel for the Muppet movie. Thrasher, what's your take? Uh, okay, mine would be Muppet Movie 2, Mupp Harder. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> the Muppet movie, the Muppet movie was a movie based on the experiences of the Muppets. So the sequel would be a sequel to the reality of the Muppets, where the actual Doc Hopper sues the Muppets, the actors, for defamation of character for the way he's portrayed in the Muppet movie. And so it's all about Doc Hopper trying to get, the real Doc Hopper, uh, trying to get revenge on the Muppets. Uh, and it's, uh, while, while the Muppets are going to, to win, while the Muppets are trying to win an Oscar for the Muppet movie. Would this be a courtroom drama? No, no. It would, in fact, it would end with a showdown at the Oscars mm. where Kermit kind of like, while giving his Oscar acceptance speech, Kermit Kermit's acceptance speech is so touching that Doc Hopper and the assassin that he's hired lay down their arms and realize how foolish this is. I see. Uh, before we go, and in, then there's a musical, stirring musical number. Before we go into what you're watching, I want to throw out a bit of trivia about this movie. I learned from a few podcasts. Uh, so in the oh. Muppet movie, there's a famous... Can you cite your sources? Uh, yes, I can, absolutely. So this is from uh, film director John Landis telling the story on uh, two different sources. One was the Kevin Pollack chat show, in which I think he still has the record for the guest with the longest show at like over three hours. It's a, it's a really great listen if you have the time. And he also yeah. was on, uh, on YouTube, uh, or on the internet, there's a website called The Nerdist. Are you familiar with that? With Chris? Oh yes, yes. Started by Chris Todd Glass show. Uh, right, yeah, Adventure the, Hour. Right, uh, and you know, started by Chris Hardwick, of course. And uh, there's a show on their YouTube channel for the Nerdist called "Ain't It Cool" with Harry Knowles, based on the uh, popular movie gossip website that I've been following for years and years since I was a youngin. Anywho, uh, on this show, he talks to John Landis in, in person, and he restates the story that he told on the Kevin Pollock chat show. The end of the Muppet movie, they sing... Um, is it Rainbow Connection? I'm trying to remember. Uh, they reprise it, I believe. They reprise Rainbow Connection, and it's every single Muppet ever from the Muppet show from Sesame Street as the camera slowly pulls out. The Land of Gorch as well. Yeah, the Land of Gorch as well, as you said. And, you know, to do this, all these people had to stand underneath the ground and manipulate all these Muppets. And so part of the people manipulating the Muppets for student, students from the uh, Cal Arts at the time, which is an art school in California that was originally started by the Walt Disney Company. So one of the now famous people manipulating one of these Muppets in this big crowd scene was uh, film director Tim Burton, who was just a college student at the time. Another person who um, manipulated Grover specifically was film director John Landis. And John Landis... Grover? Right, Grover, cool. exactly. And John Landis, uh, you know, who also had a cameo, uh, as we'll talk about later down the line in Muppets Take Manhattan, uh, has directed such fantastic uh, uh, comedy classics, such as Spies Like Us, 
The Stupids with Tom Arnold. No, I mean mean. But I mean he's that's an under. No, that's an underrated movie. Is it? I haven't seen it. I'm sad. I like Tom Arnold. No. I, I need to watch you, it. You 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 need to see it just to see the lengths that everyone in the movie was willing to go <laughs> for a joke. Sure. And the comedy. It's it's the comedy is like shockingly sophisticated. It's as close mm. as any American thing has come to being like the Goon Show. No, I, I think John Landis is a great director. All kidding aside. And it's uh, it's very sad what happened on very sad what happened on the set of his segment of the Twilight Zone, well, which involved an infamous lawsuit that uh, we're not going to get into because we're talking about the Muppet movie. Yay! So anyway, that's my trivia. So we're going to move on to our last segment of the sequel cast. What you're watching, <laughs> in which we talk about a piece of media, whether it be book, film, video game, music that we've been experiencing the past week. I will start uh, at work. There's been a spirited argument uh, between younger and older people. I guess I'm older compared to people I work with, and I edit it in an office doing copy editing for a medical company. Um, there is an argument that rose up, and I want to get your opinion on this, Thrasher. People, uh-huh. are, people are arguing, what's the better movie? Is it Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight, starring Christian Bale and... Heath Ledger, or is it The Godfather, starring Marlon Brando and Al Pacino, which is the better film? The younger people argued the Batman movie is better, the older people, including myself, argued that overall, the original Godfather is the better movie. Well, well, I'll say this, how many of those people had seen both films in their entirety? I think that's fair to say, also, how recently had they seen those films in their entirety? I still hold by The Godfather, I think... Even though we haven't covered the Christopher Nolan Batman films on sequel cast yet, I think The Dark Knight has pacing issues, among other things. I still think it's a really good movie. It's an excellent Batman movie in particular. Um, but The Godfather is something that hits me on many levels. Uh, Godfather 2, the flashback sequences in particular. But the first film, I think, is still great. Structurally, uh, dialogue, acting, all that stuff. Music, especially, all that stuff. Um and this inspired me to go to the local uh, video game store and pick up a used copy of the uh, the Godfather 1 and 2 video games on the Xbox 360. So I want to play them through an order, so I'm just playing through the first run right now. And did you know for that first Godfather video game, uh, and at the same time it was on PS2 and things like that, Xbox One, that they got the voice of uh, Robert Duvall, uh, James Caan, cool. and the late Marlon Brando. To reprise the roles for the video game. Now, Marlon Brando was in such poor health, he died while the game was being produced. They could only use a few lines of dialogue and had, an, had a, uh, a sound-alike do the rest. But it, it's, it's like Grand Theft Auto meets Godfather on a simpler scale. The graphics now, I mean, this video game, on, when it came out on 360, came out in 2006, uh, shortly after the system came out. So by today's standards, it, it doesn't look especially detailed, even though it's in high definition. But I think it, it does a, an interesting job at you're playing a character that does story missions that run parallel to what happens in the movie. And the first game, at least I haven't played the second one yet because I want to beat the first, has some class to it. It's a neat spin on that formula. Huh. Well, that's pretty cool. What, is, uh, what do you think about Godfather versus Dark Knight? Uh, okay. They're they're both they're both great films. Uh, I am still going to side with Godfather. Uh, one Godfather has withstood the test of time. Mm. 
Uh, two, I think the Godfather says more about the human condition. Right, right. Uh, uh, and I, I guess the, the, the thing is, I, I want to be able to look back on both films ten years from now and then make up my mind. I mean, I, I don't believe that there's such a thing as an instant classic. I, I think something can only be classic if it has if if it has held up despite the years. And that's gonna be that's gonna be the test for the Dark Knight, whether it's gonna stand up, especially once once Nolan's done with it, since there's already another Batman series ready to be cranked out, is it just gonna get lost in the flood like Tim Burton's Batman films? Yeah, if you want to hear us talk about some Batman, we haven't talked about Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy yet, just because it seems to be its own thing, but we talked about the uh, the 90s and 80s Batman films over at SequelCast.com, or look us up on iTunes, just search SequelCast. And uh, one of our guests on some of those episodes is Tyler Smith of Battleship Pretension. Uh, Good and, guy. Yeah, excellent guy, great. And more than one lesson. Uh, yes, he hosts that show too, and we might have some interesting news related to that stuff in the future come the fall. I'm being vague on purpose. Okay, let's go on. <laughs> uh, well, as, as far as what I'm watching... Yes, what are you watching? Uh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, at the, begin, uh, at the beginning of the month, uh, I went to uh, the Origins Game Fair in uh, in Columbus, Ohio, yep. uh, for a, a, a heady mix of business and pleasure. I had a, a phenomenal <laughs> time, made some great connections, did some wonderful business, put on some amazing events with my team, uh, Brandon Petrie and Jason Aarons, both of which who have been on the sequel cast before. But uh, one of the things I picked up uh, while I was at the show, just because I, I allow my, I spoil myself at least once. I picked up the 20th anniversary edition of Vampire the Masquerade, the classic role-playing game. Right. And I've got to say, it is phenomenal, and it's it's really a shame that it took 20 years and the cancellation of the original Masquerade RPG series for this book to come out. It's everything that role-playing game ever could have been and more. So is it a reprint of an older edition with footnotes? No, no, no. It's it's a brand new edition that, that the remaining White Wolf staffers put together with the help of some very dedicated fans. With a uh, they they basically they took everything that that worked in the previous three editions, uh, com- uh, combined it all together, refined it, updated it a bit, streamlined the rules a bit, uh, and included just about any option or any detail that had been scattered around the entire game line. So not only does it have all the original clans, it also has all the published bloodlines, it has all the published uh, disciplines, uh, and a lot more care has been taken to make every to, to sort of level everything out so that everything's on a, on, a, on an even playing field. The other thing that it which was amazing is that they uh, they took this is all if people people who aren't familiar with the game this probably won't make any damn sense but they took disciplines like celerity and made them useful in circumstances outside of combat uh, along those lines I do want to give a shout out to a, a friend of mine who even though I haven't seen for several years he used to be a co-worker of mine at a uh, when I uh, worked retail at a store in the Atlanta Georgia metro area uh, his name is James A. Moore. He's an American horror novelist. But one of the earlier things he worked on uh, was like the second edition of uh, the Vampire the Masquerade Player's Guide. And he also worked oh, nice. on Werewolf the Apocalypse. And since then, he has written various uh, chapbooks, novels, short stories, and things. His latest is Subject 7 from Razorbill Publishing, released in 2011. I think the biggest profile thing as far as stuff people might have heard of he actually uh, got to do a Buffy the Vampire Slayer novel 
based off an Xbox video game called Chaos Bleeds. But uh, it came out in 2003, and he said that's... Uh, he said uh, he got paid more for that than for a lot of his other stuff cause, uh, through smaller publishers and, and so forth, because it's based off a license, you know, that makes sense. And uh, to go in that, he was given an outline of what the video game was supposed to be. He wrote the novel off that. What the video game Chaos Bleeds, uh, which is the second Buffy game from the Xbox One, ended up being was something totally different than what the novel is. Huh. So it's an interesting divergence of uh, things between interactivity and what, you know, the deals you have to be made for in advance to get a novel done based off a video game. But shout out to James A. Moore. You can check out his work at jamesamorebooks.com. So, all right. Well, I think that wraps up this episode in the sequel cast about, uh, presumably, about the Muppet movie. So uh, check us out, sequelcast.com, <laughs> facebook.com slash sequelcast. Go to iTunes, look up sequelcast, and leave us a review um, for the sequel cast. Next week, we'll be talking about the great Muppet caper. For the sequel cast, this is Matt. And Thrasher. Saying, Hey, I thought you guys were going to let me in the movie. Moving right along, Footlution Fancy Free. I'm a perfectionist plumber, Camilla. Yes? Doop 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 doom. Swedish chef cereal. Yay. You're sounding dangerously like Danny the Dragon. Something better comes along. I see what you mean. It's no good complaining and pointless to holler. If she's a beauty, she'll get under your collar. She made a monkey out of old King Kong. I hope that something better comes along. Still, it's fun when you're fetching and agree to see an etching that you keep at your lily pad. There is no solution. It's part of evolution. The bitter patter of souls, the little feet of tadpoles. Tadpoles don't have feet. Oh, sorry about that. Two, three, four. There's no 